Hello, hello, and welcome to today's podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about risk assessment and the positive benefits of risk assessment and also demystifying some of the process around creating a risk assessment and and how it can actually be a good and exciting thing for you as an educator. So this podcast came about because somebody requested that I break down risk assessment for educators and possibly services as well. Um, because there is a significant amount of people who tend to overcomplicate risk assessment. And then there's also the other side of risk assessment where people don't put enough information in and don't really give it the weight that it deserves. So I hope from today's podcast that you will feel a lot more confident when it comes to creating your risk assessments and feel inspired to perhaps go and do some things that uh, lead you into having to write your own risk assessments. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Big Hearted Podcast. My name is Victoria Edmund and I am your host. Our aim here at the Big Hearted Podcast is to nurture a community of heart-centred educators to change the perception and delivery of early childhood education and care in Australia and ultimately around the world. We want you to be inspired by our guests and the topics we bring to you to think of new ways of being as an educator. We want you to feel a sense of belonging via this podcast so that you can engage any time of the day or night in any place that suits you. We want you to become an educator that delivers education from the heart, as we believe this is how we create great change within our world. So join us as we discover new ways to inspire each other here on the Big Hearted Podcast. Okay, welcome back or welcome to today's episode Uh, all on risk assessment. I'm excited to bring this one to you because it is one that challenges uh, people when it comes to risk. We have sort of two camps of, or three camps. We have those who are a bit meh, either way, take it as it comes. Then we have those that are gung-ho and totally into getting into risk and trying everything they possibly can. And then we have the other camp who are adverse. And we kind of want to meet a little bit in the middle so that we're not meh about it we take it seriously and put the the required weight of responsibility onto risk but that we don't uh, prevent children and ourselves from enjoying life by being risk adverse so there are several things that I want to talk about today when it comes to risk assessment and first and foremost is a few points that I mentioned in last week's Big Heart to Heart. If you happen to catch that, if you didn't, um, then these will be new for you, but I'll always talk about them in a different way. So ensuring children's safety. So risk assessment is there primarily to make sure that children don't take or are not put in positions where there is an unacceptable risk that could potentially cause harm to children. Nobody wants to see children hurt. Uh, nobody and if you if you do um, then you shouldn't be in this profession (laughs) maybe you should be a nurse or a doctor or something where you can stitch up that unmitigated risk uh, which is never fun so nobody wants to see children hurt and that's the whole role of our job is to 
teach children how to listen to those internal cues that they have. Now, everybody has those internal cues. I know I see them now, as I talked about on Friday, when I go down a set of stairs, I'm like, oh, I need to actually hold on now. Um, the the, the the balance of weight is not as evenly distributed as it used to be as a young person. Uh, I'm sure some of you are out there in your plus 40s, heading to 50s, maybe plus 50s going, yeah, yeah, I need to hold on to stair rails now too. Never did I think I would get there, but here we are. Anyway, when it comes to risk, we all have those internal cues and we watch as babies learn those because when they're crawling, they start to crawl towards stairs and they inherently know not to go headfirst down them. There is an instinct for survival that kicks in and babies will automatically turn around and it is that distribution of weight. Their heads are heavier than a lot of other parts of their body and when they, they just have that internal balance thing that's just there. So they know if they go head first, then it, it can be a recipe for disaster. Maybe one step, not so, but multiple steps, yes. So they in, instinctively turn around and go backwards downstairs and climb off things backwards maybe the first time they did it but then they learn real quick because that's one way to uh, not be a person of survival is to continually make the same mistake where you get hurt again and again that's not our inherent nature as a human being and animals too have that risk thing um you know and uh, like deer and what they hear a noise they're straight up they're looking around you can see their ears moving as they're scanning for danger and all that sort of stuff and and they pause they don't keep doing what they're doing they pause and they assess the situation and i don't know if deers are thinking critically <laughs> they maybe must they they must do because they survive so but whether they think the same way that we do I don't know um, but they will have that pause moment and they assess the situation and then they take action from there they either bound away or they decide that it's not a risk that they need to worry about and they'll go back to eating so Humans are the same. We have those same internal risk uh, alarms that go off within our system that say that's not safe, stop. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that the children are, are aware of those. But as educators, what we also can do um, is we have to put things in place so that children don't face those unnecessary risks like having uh, sharp knives in our space. Now, we can have knives in our space, butter knives and the kitty cutter knives and things like that that pose a very low risk to children whilst they learn to use those implements. So that is a risk assessment in and of itself. I will remove steak knives and sharp chef knives so that I can ensure that children aren't going to cut a finger off. Now, I've nearly done that as an adult, cut off half of my fingernail, and it was traumatic, and it didn't require a great deal of force to do so. So we need to remove those risks that are unnecessary. Children don't need to learn how to use knives by using sharp knives. They can learn how to use knives by using butter knives and kitty cutters and things like that. So you have put in a risk assessment, whether you've written that down or not, but you have put in a risk assessment that 
removes unnecessary risk for children. So that's what we need to be doing when we're thinking about our environment and thinking about when we go on excursions as well. So this is why ensuring the safety of children um, should be topmost of our mind. And that doesn't mean that we remove all risk because I think risk and risk-taking behaviours are very important within early childhood as I was talking about those internal risk alarms uh, or safety alarms, we need to really make sure that children are listening and connected to those because if they don't have a solid sound connection to their own internal cues now and they only can get that when we allow them to feel them, then they have to learn them later on down the track and it's worse to learn them at 18 years old and behind the wheel of a car when you've possibly got peer pressure and other people in the car maybe egging you on or you're trying they're trying to you know be be brave and tough or whatever it is and doing silly engaging in high risk activity so we just want to make sure that we teach the children to listen to those internal cues and have a good relationship with those internal cues in the early years because it's going to stand them in good, good stead. It's like having uh, feelings for child protection as well, you know, teaching children how to identify those feelings in them where they feel uncomfortable and they feel unsafe. There's no different you know, when it's an unsafe person or an unsafe situation, we still need to teach children those cues and to listen to them and act on them, not ignore them and put themselves into potential potentially harmful scenarios and situations. So the regulations have some guidelines for us around risk assessment and what requires risk assessment. So equipment within our environment requires risk assessment. Uh, so if you're looking at swings and forts and trampolines and things like that, there is another body who makes recommendations around how to manage the risk, and that's the kids safe stuff. So they are recommendations. So, and they're not, although the department does refer to them, you can put risks, risk assessment in place so that you can do some of the things that Kids Safe sort of talks about and has recommendations on. You can you can go around those, but you have to have robust procedures and, and um, risk assessment in place to do that. So some services will actually say to you, no, we abide by the kids safe recommendations. And then there's other services that say we take them as recommendations. If you come to us with a robust risk assessment and we've covered all bases, we're happy to take that risk. Now, as an approved provider, uh, I partook in the Approved Providers Leadership Program in Queensland last year, and it was so beneficial to our business and how we run our business. If there's any approved providers or coordinators that are listening to this, nominated supervisors that may be listening to this, if your state or territory runs this program, I highly recommend that you get on it because it was so insightful. Now, the whole purpose of doing the approved providers leadership program was to instill in the approved providers the seriousness of their role. And the exact 
purpose of the role of the approved provider, which is to ensure that everybody operating in any role under them in the service is aware of their rule, their rights and responsibilities. Um, and that includes educators. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with the approved provider. Now, this is why it's really important that you have discussion with your service around the risk assessment, because for me as a private business, I'm solely responsible for anything that happens within my service. So I have to be personally comfortable and okay with the risk that my educators are taking within their businesses. Now, I'm not ever going to say, and I, I realise I'm not like everybody else and, and everybody else is, is not like everybody else either. Everybody has their own culture within their service, right? So it's really important that you're aware of that and that comes back to philosophies aligning with each other. If you've got a service totally risk adverse and they may have really valid reasons for that, I know there was a service that had an unfortunate incident where a child um, passed away due to drowning. Now, their take on excursions is completely different to mine. And I totally understand and validate the, 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 the position that they hold on that uh, because I don't know how I would look at excursions after something like that happening in my service either. So it's really important to get to understand why a service takes the position that they take, and that requires you having conversation with them and engaging in professional critical reflection around things. So uh, it's always important to understand that there's a reason why some things are in place and you may not understand because it may have happened historically before you arrived and so you don't know. So there's never a problem with asking why something is the way it is and it in fact should part, be part of the process of getting to know your service if they have some policies in place that you think, oh, that's pretty rigid or that's a bit odd or you know whatever it is it makes you question it ask just ask the question and it's better for you to have an understanding a full and an entire understanding of why things are the way they are than to butt heads against people and just making assumptions so this is where educators need to take a little bit of um, understanding and a little bit of it's okay to ask the question do it in a professional way you'll get a deeper understanding as to why something has happened so we have to refer to the regulations. We can't operate outside of the regulations, but recommendations can be just that, a recommendation. So it's really important that an educator, when ensuring the safety of children, understands that some things may be in place because the approved provider is not comfortable with that level of risk. And that should be the end of the story. If the approved provider has had discussion with you and explained their position, that's it. That's it. Because that approved provider is essentially responsible at the end of the day. The responsibility and the, the questions will come to them from the Department of Education and they are answerable legally and financially. It could also mean that they face jail if things don't go the way they should. So when we look at the instances where children have been left in vehicles, and uh, the department has done a full, and, and the police and industrial relations have done a full and thorough investigation, 
the reason why the approved provider didn't go to jail and those educators did was because the approved provider had done everything in their power to have in place robust policies and procedures and they had been found to adequately train the staff in those policies and procedures why the staff were charged and and had have jail time over that is because they didn't follow the policies and procedures. So this is where it's really important that educators understand that they are responsible. If you are given policies and procedures to read, forms to fill out, um, <clears throat> Uh, what else do you get given? You get instruction. Your service may provide video explanation around things. You may have mandatory training that you need to do, all those sorts of things. If you attend all of that, read it, sign it off that you understand it, and then you go and do the opposite and you leave a child in a car, you are responsible for that because your approved provider has been deemed to do everything within their power to ensure the educators know. And then if that educator steps outside of that and, and then calamity befalls them, that's the responsibility of the educator. So that's the, the recent change where educators are now listed in the regulations and can be uh, up for fines. That wasn't always the case. It is the case now because there have been instances where approved providers and services have put in place adequate measures and then the educator has, for whatever reason, stepped outside and forgotten. Now, I don't know what those educators were thinking that left children in the car um, except to say that we don't know the circumstances. Maybe they had really bad news the day before and they were trying to process it and they weren't present. Now, I'm not excusing their behaviour, but I am saying that I've had instances in my own personal life where I've just had news and I've driven home, no idea how I got home on autopilot, totally on autopilot because my brain was thinking about the news that I had not being present in that moment. Now, I'm not saying that that's an excuse, but what I'm saying is that I can understand how these things can happen. And I think as educators, you need to have that level of, of awareness of your own mental capacity on a day-to-day -day basis. If you're a mama who's got a teething baby of your own, maybe reconsider going on the park excursion where there's going to be other children. Maybe reconsider that because you've been up four, five, six times during the night with your own baby. If the children are a little bit disappointed in that day, that's okay. It's better than you being really tired and fatigued and going on an excursion. So that could form part of your risk assessment too is that you don't do a regular excursion if you haven't had a good night's sleep or you're not in a, you don't have enough mental capacity to be able to function at, at peak. Because going out with children, you have to be on the entire time. That includes not being on your phone and being distracted by your phone for even 15, 20 seconds. That is all it takes for a child to walk around a corner and disappear from you. So when you're on excursions, you have to be completely on with no distractions. So that's where 
I always look at the human side of excursions and the human side of educators. If you go somewhere with your educator bestie and you're both chatting and you're not in an enclosed space, it's so easy. I would be the world's worst person at it. So I never put myself in that position because I know I wouldn't be able to help myself but to chat right? So it's all right to chat if your eyes are on the children the whole time. When you're going out with other people's children, you're taking a big risk. You're putting yourself in a position where things could potentially go wrong, could potentially go pear-shaped. And it may not be you, it may be the other people in the space too that you have to worry about that are doing, that are not doing the right thing, right? You could come across someone who's having a mental health episode there's no no shade on them they might be having a mental health episode but you've got to then manage that in that moment and keep the children safe and remove them from that from seeing it and removing them from any kind of danger in that so it's not always you but it's other people in the space that you encounter when you go out and I'm not averse to excursions I love when my team go out um there have been excursions where they've wanted to go where I've kind of gone whoa there's going to be so many people there and there's multiple exits how are you going to manage that so it's not your services responsibility to manage the risk for you it's your responsibility if you want to go somewhere to talk about how you are going to manage that how are you going to manage four children when there's potentially 200 other children there all playing how do you keep your eyes on your four children when there's so many other people in that space how how do you do that how do you adequately manage them so that they don't go out of an exit when another family opens a gate how do you manage that how do you manage that when there's three entrances into this play space that you're using so this is what you've got to come come to your service with. How are you going to manage those? And open the conversation with your service. There have been a few um, excursions that my educators have wanted to go on and we haven't been able to come up with a reasonable way to manage our children in that space. So we've then changed the excursion to something different that still met the what the educator was trying to meet within that excursion but did it in a way that I was comfortable letting them do. Because at the end of the day, as the approved provider, I am the one (laughs) that is solely responsible and financially responsible. So if something went wrong and a child disappeared and it was deemed that our risk assessment wasn't adequate, I can get fined. And if I get fined, it's my house on the line. So your approved provider may be in that position too. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an insight and a little bit of understanding as to why sometimes approved providers will be like, no, you're not going to do that. I would hope that they enter into a conversation with you, but please don't be expecting that it's your approved provider's responsibility to come up with the risk assessment. It's not. It's your responsibility. If you feel that strongly about wanting to do that particular exercise, then you need to come to them having crossed all your T's and dotted all your I's and, and come up with a robust plan in the first place and then be prepared that they may not be willing to take that risk. But then have an alternative. Okay, well, if we can't do that, could we do this instead? So ensuring the safety of the children is everybody's utmost 
uh, responsibility and should be at top of mind all of the time. So the regulations do set out a number of uh, requirements that we need to meet when it comes to risk assessment. And then, as I said, we have kids safe that we can pull in to use as a guideline and follow the recommendations or to at least get in contact with them and have conversation with them about how we could get around that and what different things we could put in place to make sure that the children are going to be safe. So compliance with legal requirements, we've kind of covered a, quite a bit of that in that conversation. So Suffice to say that if you're an educator that's going out on, on excursions and things like that, you should be reading the regulations that talk about excursions. So I mentioned before some educators want to do uh, an excursion on their own property. You can't do it. If you look at the definition of excursion in the regulations, it talks about leaving the premises. So if you're doing something on your own property, that's a, it's a risk assessment. So I started recording this before and then I didn't have really good uh, internet. So I can't remember if I talked about it in this one or if it was the other recording, but I'll just briefly touch on it again. The back part, part of my place is fenced, completely child safe. The front part, um, you may not be able to see at the moment, but we get all this beautiful, well, you can't see because you're on a podcast. Victoria, if you're watching the YouTube... <laughs> <laughs> we get lovely sun all in the front of our place in winter, autumn, winter and spring. It's beautiful. So we, and it's not fenced out the front. And our garden, all the gardening that I used to do with my family daycare children was out the front. So I had a risk assessment as to how I was going to manage the children in an unfenced area of my family daycare. So it was a risk assessment to go into the front yard and it was robust. It didn't. And that's the other thing too, when you're talking about compliance and legal requirements too, anything that you put down on a risk assessment, anything, you have to follow it to the T. If you don't follow it, you're in breach of your own or you're not complying with your own risk assessment. Therefore, you're responsible for whatever happens, even if it was just a random accident. If you've put it on there that you're going to ensure that doesn't happen, then be prepared to have to explain yourself hardcore, for want of a better word, but to go right in depth as to how that happened when you put it on a risk assessment that you weren't going to let it happen and you let it happen. So this is the thing. Sometimes people put far too much on a risk assessment because you've got to follow all of it and you can be pinged if you don't follow it. And then there's the other side where people don't put enough, where clearly they haven't thought enough about the excursion to put that in place, to be able to go and do it. I've had um, people put in risk assessments to go somewhere to a venue where there was something happening for children, had no idea about how they were going to manage toileting, had no idea about how far the car park was to the entrance, uh, there was nothing about who else was going to be there. There was uh, no risk assessment on the actual venue itself. So anybody that's doing like a play group or things like that should have their own risk assessment in place, which you can then request a copy of. If they don't have their own risk assessment in place, then you need to do a bigger job to ensure, because how do we know who's coming into the space? How do we know who has access to the space while we're there? How do we know that there's going to be adequate first aid things in place? How do we know that there's even going to be a toilet in the space for children to use? 
Like, what are we going to do if, if a child has a meltdown in the middle of this whole thing? Like, what's in place to stop the children exiting if you are dealing with a child that's having a, a meltdown? Like, what's in place to stop the children from exiting the space once you get in? All these sorts of things need to be taken into consideration. If you're putting in a risk assessment that you're going to go to this playgroup and uh, it takes 15 minutes to get there, the playgroup's going to run for an hour and a half, there's a playgroup leader, and then you'll come home, that's not adequate. You need to talk about how you're going to get the children in and out of the vehicle to the venue. You can say, like, the park, I can park right at the front. Uh, there's ample parking to allow me to be able to be off a main road at least. Uh, the toilets, toilets are available inside the venue um, and there's enough space for me to take all of the children with me to the toilet because remember you can't leave children with people who are not approved by your service. So you can't go to a library and take a single child to the toilet and leave the other children in the library with the lady who's running the story time. You can't do that. So you have to make sure that there's adequate provision for you to be able to take all of the children with you. Um, so things like that you need to be able to cover off in a risk assessment, and that's complying with legal requirements. So they need to be top of your mind. So if you haven't read the regulations around risk assessment and you're doing excursions with children, can I suggest that you go and do that, like, pause the podcast and go and do that right now, you're going to benefit yourself because then you understand from a legal perspective and the regulatory expectations that are on you when doing risk assessments. So going back to operating in an unapproved area, um, now my space was entirely safe. The only reason why it was it wasn't even really unapproved. It was just my front yard, but I had a risk assessment in place to go there. So the children could play there. It wasn't like we were going into the shed where all of Brian's tools and, you know, axes and, and saws and chisels and all that sort of stuff and petrol and paint and all, you know, any, any kind of, um, not prohibited, but any kind of chemical or anything like that. Like that was always locked. Uh, and the door handle was up above child height, so they couldn't get into the shed, and the door was always locked as well. So it's not as if we were entering that space, which I would never let children into. We were in the garden space, but there just wasn't a fence, and there was a driveway. So lucky for us, I can hear when vehicles come in. We live on a really quiet street, so I was able to position myself at the front of the garden so that the children had to get past me to go onto the driveway. Plus, I could hear when cars were coming and I could also hear when they were coming onto our driveway because we have a gravel driveway and it's quite long so there was plenty of time for me to be able to uh, either stop children from moving or tell the car to stop straight away so therefore I was able to mitigate that kind of risk uh, and I always positioned myself in a place where I could you know, stop a vehicle from entering my premises uh, by being visual and like doing the stop sign <laughs> or stopping the children from going there. So that was how I mitigated the risk and managed the risk when we would go into the garden space. So um, there's other things that you could do too. If you were an educator in that position, you could put some flags across your driveway to prevent vehicles coming in. That would be another way that you could manage a, a, a space that's not fenced. If yeah, it's so individual to every educator's environment. 
um, but they were things that I could do in my environment. I have another educator who has a similar setup. Her driveway is a lot longer than mine. So she puts uh, traffic cones across the driveway to prevent cars coming down when they're playing under the big, beautiful fig tree. So, and the children also have a rope that they don't go past. So there's a visual aid that stops them from going past a certain point. And also the educator puts the cones up so that the cars know that the children are out and about and that they don't bring their car any closer than that particular point. So what the educator does then when they know someone's coming, she gathers the children and she then signals to the vehicle because they've got a turnstile uh, or a, a roundabout kind of thing at their place. So then once the children are safe and gathered and she has um, she can maintain control over the children, she then will wave the vehicle in so that they can turn around and exit. So there's all these things that they put in place that work beautifully, but they work because the educator has put forethought and we worked together to create those scenarios because it puts forethought and it's doable. Anytime I see an educator with this really incredible risk assessment, I actually look at the practicalities of putting that in place and go, but are you really going to do that every single time? Is that a maintainable scenario that you've put in there? Can you really do that? What, what happens if you've got a screaming child and you said that you're going to check the playground for cigarette butts and things like that like are you really going to be able to do that if you've got four children and one's upset because they, they're tired or or they're hungry or whatever are you really going to check for cigarette butts every single time or would a better thing be to have a conversation with the children before you get out of the car remember we don't pick up cigarette butts and you might be able to show them a picture of a cigarette butt we don't touch those things and you might show them a picture of needles too we don't touch those things either and if you see them you need to come and tell me right? So that's another way to mitigate risk. Now, that could be something that you easily do because on your excursion folder, you might have pictures of those things there so that it's a reminder for you to have that conversation every time. And it won't be long before the children are already trained, so to speak, on how to manage those situations. So, but then you have to do that whole process again if you have a new child coming to your care. So these are the things that you need to be aware of when it comes to risk assessment. So minimizing the likelihood of injury too is another one of those things. And we touched on it when I talked about knives, sharp knives in the space. Like we don't wanna have this play fort in our space if you don't have adequate softball around it that's two or three meters high that you can't ensure that no child is going to fall out of. So let's just reduce that risk. Let's reduce it and, and get rid of that risk. It's unnecessary. So the other thing that you can do when talking about minimizing the likelihood of injury is have boundaries in place that the children follow. So one of my favorite ones is three anchor points. When children are climbing trees, it's three anchor points all the time. Three anchor points, that can be two feet and a hand or two hands and a foot, whichever way it goes, but that's a non-negotiable. If you're going to climb trees, and I encourage children to climb trees because it's so good for their vestibular system, it's so good for their muscles, it's so good for learning that um, connection to that fear sensor. Uh, because I know, I remember doing it as a kid, climbing, 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 this is great, and then getting to the top and going, oh, shivers, how am I going to get down? 
oh no, oh no, I only ever did that once before then I learned to maintain a, a safe distance to the ground that was within my capabilities. Now, there's going to be some children who are often away. You have to be comfortable with the level of risk and there has to have had a conversation with your service about what they're comfortable with as well. Because remember, at the end of the day, it's your service that's that's responsible However, if you've had conversation, it's in your risk assessment that children don't go over your head height because if they do get into a situation, how are you going to go to how are you going to climb up? There's no way I'd climb up a tree now as a 40 something. I know I only look 21, but as a 40 44 year old lady, someone reminded me the other day, I said, I'm 42. And she went, No, you're 44. And I went, What? <laughs> So yes, I'm 44. So there's no way at 44, even though I go to the gym and I do all these things, I'm not going to climb a tree in case something happens to me and there's three other children down on the ground that need me, right? So it would be my luck that there would be a whole heap of people in the park and I tried to climb the tree and I got stuck or I fell down and hurt myself. Like legit, that's what would happen. So I'm just not climbing a tree. So for me, when children are climbing a tree, they don't go over my head height because I can't then reach up and get them. So that's my rule and that's where I'm comfortable with. And if the children want to climb higher, they can do that with their family. But I'm not putting myself in a position where I'm going to look like a goose trying to climb a tree and also fall out and hurt myself because that legit would happen. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to take that level of risk. But I want children to have that experience. So for most children, I am short, but for most children, that's twice their height. That's enough. They, they can get what they need to get from that. They don't need to push that any further. That's just my thing. You may have something else. Uh, when it comes to playing in open fields and paddocks and things like that, like we did a lot of bush and nature play within my service. So it was loads of risky play. There was this massive vine at the park that the children used to swing on. Now, there was nothing around it. It come from a big tree. There was a there was some um, shrubs to the right of it, but that was about two and a half metres away. So this random big vine, it was so cool. Um, the children used to get on it and swing, and I had no problem with that because it was thick. It was The vine was probably as thick as my calf muscle, which is substantial, I will say. For some reason, I have big calves. But anyway, it was as thick as my calf muscle. So it definitely could sustain the weight of children swinging on it. So we put some boundaries in place. that The children, when they're swinging, they had to stand beside their friend, not in front or behind, because there's nothing worse than copying the full force of your mate's foot in your face because you weren't paying attention and someone swung and kicked you. So we had some boundaries in place around that. And then the children were free to play with it however they wanted and they could go there. They didn't need to ask me. We had the boundaries in place from the beginning and it flowed beautifully. And so then the children would build, um, gather all the sticks and build cubbies and all sorts of stuff in the in the bush in, in this park that we used to play in. And it was wonderful. And that minimised the likelihood of risk and injury because 
I'd been to the park beforehand and on weekends I used to go with my pup and I'd be always scanning the park and making sure that, you know, nothing was out of place. There was a time where there was a whole heap of broken glass there. So I made sure that I came back before we went to the park with the children and I picked up as much of the glass as I could and then I alerted my children that they weren't to play there until we could um, get rid of the rest of the glass, which happened. So it's all those kinds of things that you can do to minimise the likelihood of injury. So having that risk assessment and having that process in place makes you look at it from a different perspective than if you're just walking down to the park with the children going to have a lovely time. You've really got to look at these things and look at the potential for injury that could happen and think about it before you get there so that you have something in place before you get there so you don't have to try and think on your feet while you're there. So mitigating liability and legal risks, well, we've touched on that quite a lot. So as soon as you put something down on paper and it gets signed off, you're bound to it. So you've just got to be aware that you don't make your risk assessments overcomplicated or you don't include enough. You've got to find that sweat, oh, that sweet spot. Sorry, my Ugg boot just touched me and I thought something climbed on me. You're lucky I didn't scream. <laughs> um, so you've got to find that sweet spot that is just right so that you're not overcomplicating and you're not having not enough in there. So you really got to take the responsibility of this seriously because it is really serious. And I hope by now you're understanding from a whole different perspective around risk assessment and the importance of it and the benefits of it to you, because it means that you've pre-thought of things that could potentially go wrong. You're never going to think of everything. It's physically and literally impossible to think of everything that could possibly go wrong. And this is what happens if there's an investigation with the department. They will look at your risk assessment and they'll go, well, look, this is a really well thought out risk assessment. We can see that you're an educator that's a responsible educator who's taking responsible amount of risk and mitigating as much as you can. We can see that this was just one of those freak things that happened and we're okay with it. Let's include that in your risk assessment for next time. If you've not got enough on there or you didn't follow your own risk assessment. This is why I think it's really important that educators write their own risk assessment and their service not do it for them or at least do it in conjunction with each other because if someone else has written it, how do you take that in? Like really, when you're talking about risk assessment and each educator is doing a different excursion too or the things in their own environment are specific to them. So it's better for you because you have a better working knowledge of how these things work than your service doing it for you. They may want to come in and help you and do all that, which is great. Uh, they may offer suggestions and ideas, which is also great. But at the end of the day, I personally, and other services may do this different and there's no shade on anybody, but I personally think it's better when an educator undertakes this risk assessment themselves um, and then in conjunction with their service, their service can then approve it. So it's mitigating that liability and that legal risk by making sure that the things in place are going to be things that you can maintain and standards that you can meet every single time. And then learning and development opportunities. So let's not in, forget the most important person in all of this process, which is the child or the children. 
Let's include them in these risk-taking, um, the risk minimization. Let's get them thinking because if we can teach them how to look at a situation and go, well, what do you see here are the potential things that could go wrong and get them thinking about that and get them giving you ideas as to how you can minimise that because what you're going to instil in them, if you do, and I used to do it with my children, before I'd let them go running off into the park, I'd go, look, Let's have an emu bob. Let's look around and see the things that could potentially be, you know, a little bit unsafe for us. Let's let's do that and then let's talk about how we're going to manage it. And they would. We would go around and we'd walk around the space that they were allowed to be in in the park because it was a big open field. We'd walk around the areas and then we'd, we'd say, oh, look, there's mushrooms there. Well, what are we going to do about that? Let's not play with the mushrooms because sometimes they can make you really, really sick. Let's leave the mushrooms for the wildlife that's going to come along and eat it. Let's not touch that. There was broken glass. What are we going to do about that? So I used to always have a plastic container that I could put glass into. I didn't have plastic bags because it, you know, it could rub on somebody or someone could go looking for something in, in the bag because I used to take the cart down with me. They could go stick their hand in there, whereas if it's in a plastic container, there was no chance of anybody getting hurt. So I would take the plastic container and we would pick up the glass if I hadn't seen it over the weekend or whatever, or I didn't get down there for whatever reason, then we would put the, the glass in the plastic container and make it safe. And then we would say, right, if you're going to take your shoes off, you can't come to this particular area today. And we would, they would know. And they would, they would do this finding with me and they would come up with ideas and solutions as to how we could deal with that. So that's called a dynamic risk assessment. That's doing it in the moment. And it's always really good to include children in that and to give them the skills to be able to look at these things themselves, to put these things in place for themselves, because in years to come, they'll automatically do that in their own environment and do it when they're out playing with their friends too. So it's really important and it's a great topic that we can give to the children. We can do that within our own environment too. So we being in that we're rural and we used to fertilise our gardens with a lot of manure and palm mulch and things like that, mushrooms were quite often something that would come up in our garden. So we taught the children how to assess them. We taught the children to go, well, that's a fungi. I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to tell Tori and we'll remove it from the space. And that's what they did. So there was lots of other things. You know, snakes was another one, a very real risk assessment in my environment, considering we have a snake that has lived within our environment for years and years and years. I know the people that lived here, two people before us, and they were aware of this resident carpet snake. So we had chooks at one stage too. So we frequently had, had snakes and goannas in our environment. So I would ask the children, what would you do? What would you do if you saw a snake? Stand very still and yell out for Tori was always the thing that they would say. I go, great, yep. So what happens if the snake is moving towards you and Tori's not there? You run as fast as you can away from that snake and, and get inside and close the door, right? So these are all the things that we have conversations with around the children. Now, I did a snake check every morning, but there were two two-hour periods in the day where the children were inside sleeping. It could easily move from where it lived in the pool yard 
and it had at some point moved behind the couch. Now, I never checked behind the couch cushions until one day I was like, why is this cushion? It had been out coming out from for two days and it was where I was sitting on the outdoor couch and I was like, had drink bottles in one hand and plates in the other and I was pushing the cushion back with the back of my legs and I was like, there must be a toy there. So I put these things down, turn around, pull the back cushion off and lo and behold, there's a carpet snake there. So it was straight away, children, we're having morning tea inside today and we're going to call Aunty Judy and she's going to come and get the snake. So these things happen. I'm, like who has that on their daily safety checklist? Check behind couch cushions of a really highly used area. I never did until then. So it wasn't until then that I put that in place. So then it became a regular thing that I would check behind the cushions because I don't want to sit on a carpet snake. Oh, my goodness. And I did tell the children, if you get bitten, you're on your own. I'm not touching a cup. I'm not touching a snake. So don't go near them. So we had a healthy respect, but that was a risk that was really relevant to the children in my environment because they all live up here. We all have snakes come to our places from time to time. So it's a real risk that children need to learn how to navigate so that when they come across that in their own environment, they already know what to do. And children know inherently about those big risks and those things that they need to pay real attention to because, again, it comes back to that innate survival uh, drive that we each have. So I, I hope that's given you a total different understanding and a different way of looking at risk assessment and a way that you may not have considered before. And if there's anything that I've missed please let me know because we will add that into the show notes of the podcast so that other people can benefit from those ideas as well. Or you can comment on, on social media when we put the post up about the um, podcast going live so that other people can benefit from your wisdom and your knowledge as well because it's really important that we share this information that we have around risk assessments and things that worked and things that haven't worked because we don't need to reinvent the wheel if we can just share this information with each other. So I hope that that inspires you to perhaps step outside of your comfort zone if you're one of those educators that's quite risk averse and, and think, oh, it's actually not that difficult. I just have to have a little forethought into what I'm doing. So on that note, thank you very much for joining me on today's podcast. I hope you got a lot out of it and I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye for now. Hi friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. When we work on our own, we can sometimes be in a silo. So having new perspectives and different ways of looking at things is vitally important for the growth of our individual selves and our professional selves as well. We love feedback. So if you felt compelled to share what you thought of today's podcast, we would love to read your thoughts. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcast. That helps our podcast to get out to the wider community. And the more that hear what we have to share, we think the better it is. Thanks so much, friend. We'll see you next time. Till then, big love.